Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. why god made the sky so high why so that the little birdies don't bump their head on it when they're flying around do you know why little joke for you (laughs) little joke do you know why god made the sky so blue why to reflect the color of blu-ray yeah the most beautiful creation that god has ever had a hand in creating (laughs) that's my favorite joke from cinema (laughs) (laughs) it's just a little joke you know you know what's so sad is like in Goodfellas, Joe Pesci kills. Yeah. Everything he says kills. But in this movie, he bombs. He plays one of the least funny people. <laughs> That's one of the least funny guys. He can't even talk to someone properly. We Very are sad. talking today about the Irishman. Mm. I hear you paint houses. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, I hear you paint houses is uh, what you call what you say to a hitman because he paints the houses with blood, shooting from a man, person's head. I've got to say, to be a hitman or to be in the mob, the best part about it is all the cool code things mm, you get to say to each yeah, other. Yeah, and that's why you do it part yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you love talking code. I love talking code. Bit like like sleeps with the fishes. Yep. Painting houses. Even just third example. Third example. Um, I hear your. Uh, your schlong is long. <laughs> and that which means, means you're a sniper. Yeah, you have a big gun. You've got yeah, a big ass gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're breaking our, ca- our code this week. We are. We we're pro- breaking our meta. <laughs> <laughs> we're breaking the meta. We swore that we would only discuss films that had been remade and the remakes themselves. Mm-hmm. And today we're talking about a rigid Ditch movie. But what's interesting about this, Alexi, and why I think we can technically mm-hmm. sneak this in here yep. is because this film, while it is a standalone film, in many ways acts as a capper to an entire oeuvre. And by Kappa, you mean that if Goodfellas is one woman facing left, so what? This one's a woman <laughs> facing right. And they're sitting back to back on a pair of pants. <laughs> exactly. So they are sister films. Yes. Famously, the Kappa Chicks are sisters. Yes, yes, yes. This is Kappa films. This is sister films. <laughs> this is gangster movies. Uh-huh. This is Scorsese. And we are wishing you a mighty Christmas mm. this month here mm. on Total Reboot. We are celebrating the icon of cinema. Yep. The most beloved uncle that we've ever had. The guy with the wispiest eyebrows on the silver screen. The guy that played the puffer fish in Shark Tale against his <laughs> de- beloved best friend, Mr. Bobby De Niro, Martin Scorsese. Are you nervous about talking about this film? I am, because I've seen this movie three times now. How many hours have you clocked in? I've clocked in 11 because I did an extra half here and there. I was to like, make yeah, it yeah, even. Just to make it even. I want to get up to 11. <laughs> 
You know, these ones go to a level. Spinal tap style. <laughs> One of the funniest bits that a cinephile can make is to say the number 11 or to say how something's so good that it goes that extra level beyond 10. Yeah. And now, let me tell you, Cameron, yeah. it's my opinion that this film itself goes much like Marty the Burgie's famous film, <laughs> Up to Eleven itself. Oh, really? Yes, yes, yes. You loved it. I love this movie. I, I will tell you the, the context in which I saw it originally. Yeah. Let me guess. In a cinema. In the cinema where I belong. My second home away from Blu-ray Studios <laughs> <laughs> is in the cinema, the darkened room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dark... flickering light coming Ooh. from the back of the room. What's up there? One <sighs> could only imagine. And you won't have to imagine much longer because the imagination of another person is about to be splayed out on the screen. <laughs> But I had to review this for ABC and I saw this in like probably the best week I've ever had at the cinema in my entire life. Did you get a hand job <laughs> or something? I, got the, I learned this new trick about popcorn. <laughs> no, I saw. I had to review this for ABC uh, on the show, The Mix, that I do uh-huh. with Kate Jinx and Jason DeRosso every couple of months. And we had to review the three best movies probably of the year, or three of the best. Uh, we had to see The Irishman by Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had to see, I would say, kind of a similarly themed film. That uh, as I'll, we get into The Irishman, I'll, I'll compare these two a little bit. Uh, is the new film from Pedro Almodovar, uh, Pain and Glory, starring Antonio Banderas and mm-hmm. Penelope Cruz. And uh, then also Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. Yeah. And I will tell you that they're three of the best movies of the year. And two of them are Netflix films. Marriage Story and Irishman are both on Netflix. Who would have thought that we would go from The Ridiculous Six yeah. to The Irishman and Marriage Story? Who would thought that a, t- a little website yeah. that took a chance yeah. on a show starring our very own Stephen Van Zandt, <laughs> the beloved Silvio Dante from The Sopranos, and taking him over to Lilyhammer and then calling the show the same thing? Would lead to two great films one day. Wow. And a handful of other things. So you sit in a cinema, the whole room goes dark. Yep. You Weirdly, out. I'm like, you freak what the out. hell? Am I going blind? You immediately panic. I smell burnt toast. My arm feels weird. Then the screen lights up yep. with Martin Scorsese's latest film. You relax. Yeah. Tell me your first. The movie ends. No, yep. don't, let's not even get to the end of the movie yet. Uh huh. Let's go to the first hour. Yeah. How are you feeling so far? First hour, um, I think my initial reaction was like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this is finally here. Because like we've talked about how much Manscaw says he's so linked to our DNA mm. um, and so like part of us as cinephiles. And I proudly wear that title. Yeah, you are I, registered. I, we're registered. You're registered yeah. too, baby. Thank you. By You're trying to get off. You're trying to get off the list. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to get off the list, but unfortunately, I'm more of a TV guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not a register. Unfortunately, there is no register for that. Unfortunately, people think that that's normal to be obsessive TV, <laughs> and being obsessed with movies is fucking disgusting and illegal. <laughs> and that's why I'm starting this whole movement. But we should make it legal to like movies. Yeah, totally. And I'm on board. I'll I'll sign the papers. Yeah. I'll march in the streets. I'll even go to a cinema. 
That's how much I believe in I'm you. I'm starting a group. Okay. It's called a Nice Alexi Movie Boy Lovers Appreciation. <laughs> it's called Nambler for short. <laughs> oh, no. That's not good. So you're you're an hour in. Mm. You, you're still in disbelief that this yeah, is finally I still, here. Because like, I've been following this movie for like a decade. Sure. I found my copy of the book I Hear You Paint Houses that mm. I bought when they announced that they were going to make this movie. Uh, I had to, this. It took so long. I bought this movie when I was in a, this book when I was in high school. I had All to right. go to a brick and mortar physical bookstore, give them the ISBN number to order it from the states. Wow! So I had to import this book. That's crazy. And I found the receipt in there. The receipt was just white because it's just <laughs> been it had been in there for so long. And I remember this movie. Uh, I bought another book around the same time because originally they were going to make this movie based on a Don Winslow novel called uh, "The Winter of Frankie Machine," which is about a retired mafia hitman who's now like a surfer kind of thing. Because they wanted to do another movie together, and the, this was source material that had been suggested to them. And while researching the role, Robert De Niro read "I Hear You Paint Houses" because it's about like a notorious hitman, mm. and he was so moved by the book. And he brought it to Marty. He's like, I think we should make this because, uh, and you know, Scorsese was kind of dismissive originally because he thought we've covered this territory so much already together. It's like, what's the point of us doing again? And he read it and he's just seeing how moved De Niro was and how he, he was like, this guy needs to play this character. Hmm. And so 10 years later, they finally got to make it. Far out. So it's been like a really long journey to get to this point. And I think that, the version that we have now is kind of like the only version they could possibly do. Now they have the technology to kind of do what they did with this film. Which I'm sure we're, we're going to get into that. Should we just dive into the film or do you have a thought that you want to... Okay. I had a very different cinematic experience mm. to you in you that it wasn't cinematic. You I watched watch it on my home cinema, mm-hmm. which is an Apple TV. An Apple TV gorgeous product. Beautiful, tiny little square product mm-hmm. that you place next to... Your television. Next to it, do you plug it in or just... Absolutely. You plug it in, you get a kettle cord. You have to unplug the kettle. (laughs) (laughs) You unplug the kettle. Every time I want to watch TV. (laughs) Every time you want to watch TV. I have to boil the kettle first, make a cup of tea. Just in case. Just in case. (laughs) Unplug it. If you're halfway through the movie and you want a tea, what are you going to do? Can't can't have one. Uber Eats it? (laughs) Yeah, Uber Eats tea. Plug it in. I found it. I watched it. Three and a half hours, Alexi. Uh-huh. No breaks. No breaks. Not I'm even proud of for you. urination. Oh my god! I held it. I, luckily, I didn't <laughs> drink that it. tea. You edged <laughs> it all day. Edging with my urine all day. Watched the movie. Um, now that's famously why you pace during movies a lot of the time. I think that I would have benefited more from watching it in a cinema mm. because. Something about watching three and a half hours on your television just feels a bit like watching many episodes of a television show. Or a miniseries. In a row. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think I'd, I would have benefited from the lack of distraction mm-hmm. of a darkened cinema, even though it freaks you out. Yeah. I think it would have been very cool for me to sit in a yeah. dark room. I always have a nightlight in the cinema with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know if I would agree with you because I... Having seen it in the cinema twice and then once at home, I originally thought that seeing it in the cinema would be like the only way to see it. Uh, but I felt dissimilarly to how I felt when I saw Roma. When I saw Roma in the cinema, I was like, I can't even fucking imagine some poor soul that's going to have to watch this movie on Netflix. Because I mm. felt like that movie was so... 
uh, capital C cinematic and so thoughtful in its sound design. And watching this movie, I didn't feel it was overtly like, you know, that capital C cinematography that you have to see on the big screen. Mm. And I felt like this movie kind of like is nice and slow and envelops you. And I felt like that this would be like... when people ask me, like our friend Greg Larson, he couldn't make to the cinema. He said, "Hey, do you think that watching it at home on Netflix will be okay?" And I said, "The only reason I would say must see in the cinema is the distraction level because yeah. it's hard to sit at home and not chuck your phone on totally. or you know go start thinking about something else to completely lose yourself in a film." But I was like, apart from that, this movie would play beautifully at home, and I think it does. Like I feel like this is like a great Sunday movie like to just put it on and just like you've got no responsibilities and just sit at home and just let this movie fucking wash over you at home get your uncles around you <laughs> cook know up watch some gravy cook up some watch on a public holiday you know yeah. I gotta tell you I don't think I liked it as much as you did mm. but I did really enjoy it particularly in the back uh, like third back Oof. half back third of the movie wow but it, it makes took, me happy to it hear took that. me uh, the first hour or so mm was uh, an interesting one, and I guess we're about to get into that. Right I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. It was like the army. You followed orders. You did the right thing. You got rewarded. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. A friend at the top. Back then, there was nobody in this country who didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa was. Charge a guy with a gun. With a knife, you run away. So you charge with a gun. With a knife, you run. The Irishman, 2019, directed by Martin Scorsese. His story changed history. Do you see what they've done there? Mm, yeah, MJ style. <laughs> <laughs> Pennsylvania, 1956. Frank Sheeran, a war veteran of Irish origin, who works as a truck driver accidentally meets mobster Russell Buffalino. Once Frank becomes his trusted man, Buffalino sends him to Chicago with the task of helping Jimmy Hoffa, a powerful union leader related to organized crime with whom Frank will maintain a close relationship for nearly 20 years. Alexi, that's the Irishman. Now, tell me what you think about it. Well, I... Truly think this is like a masterpiece film. Like I, I, th- I'm, I'm absolutely unabashedly in love with this movie. It's built up more and more over the weeks since I first saw it, and the multiple times I've seen it. But I think what this film does, and I also think this is kind of like what Pain and Glory did, the Moldova film I saw around the same time. Two of the best films of the year is that I think that these films serve as epilogues to everything that its stars and its creators have done before it. This film, especially, you know, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, also has Carvey Keitel in it. These are the icons of this genre of cinema. Mm. They've defined what uh, the gangster film is in modern films. Like, it's them and then, like, James Cagney and shit from the 1930s. And I think for me as well, like, the... This having these people is like what makes it so culturally significant, mm. and why I think it's like this important piece of art in such a different way to uh, their previous efforts are. Um, you know, like Goodfellas is so much 
about and casino as well creating like this sense of authenticity like we talked about last week how goodfellas is um it's kind of like got that almost like rock and roll documentary feel where if the camera spun around the other way you would not see the lights you'd see the other side of the room when they're doing like those copacabana scenes they're all about creating this sense of like verisimilitude authenticity this sense of like fun epic realism uh Mm. to challenge what you your challenge your own morals and Mm -hmm. how far you're Mm -hmm. willing to go to get what you want whereas i think this film is like this really sad rumination and regretful uh, regretful look back at these lives that people like these have lived. People that these people have embodied forever. These people that have defined what masculinity is in cinema. And this film is a regretful look back on all of that. And it's also, I think like Goodfellas works on that creating that sense of authenticity and realism. I think this film is important because of those metatextual details I just thought I uh, just talked about. So I think it's like that metatextuality that just makes this film uh, like the perfect epilogue to hopefully these people all make more films, but it's the epilogue to their entire career. It's their, it's their legacy film. It's like the film that embodies their entire legacy of gangster masculinity, Italian American cinema and I mean, like it's 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 like a it's like an epilogue to all the important films, not like Meet the Parents or like <laughs> Simone, the one that Al Pacino made about like <laughs> the digital actress he created. Uh, oh, which is weirdly relevant to this, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Um, but I think that's why I just truly love it because I think it's like it's this beautiful epilogue to all the movies that have meant so much to me personally and so much to the way cinema has evolved over the last 50 uh, years. On that, what's possibly problematic about that is that if you're not as familiar, Mm. this movie might not mean as much to you. Yeah. Um, And I am quite familiar with it, but I really did try to divorce myself from that while I was watching it. It's kind of impossible though, right? I kind of felt like what you're saying is tied into the DNA of the film and that you you need to be watching it and be aware that you are also watching the actors from movies you've loved before. Yeah. You can't watch it as a standalone movie. You are now watching um, fucking De Niro, who played a half-Irish guy in um, Goodfellas, right? And oh, he's full a, Irish. In full Goodfellas. Irish in Goodfellas, yeah. yeah. You're watching him now 70. It's yeah. kind of crazy to... You can't watch it as its own thing. Yeah. I think that... Uh, I mean, well, like, a film doesn't live in a vacuum that way. Mm. I think, you know, these films all inform each other. All films inform each other. And I think that... I mean, even on this podcast, that's how we discuss films. And I mm. think... That there's no way that we couldn't discuss this film in any other context. You can't just go like, oh, what a cool movie. Do you think that someone who is a bit younger and hasn't seen these films could get something out of it? I think there's potential to. I think that there's so much in this movie that... I mean, I think it's best successes if you have a love and fondness and like a reverence for those films or if they're important to you. This film will like sing at this like really deep harmonious level that it did for me. But I don't know. I wonder if like a 14-year-old would see because it's not fun the way that I could see a 15-year-old person just chucking on Goodfellas and like having a blast with it. Whereas this is not that at all. No way. Goodfellas is punk rock. It literally fucking ends with Sid Vicious... Yeah. Singing. This movie is 
freaking doo-wop. Exactly. It's it that begins and ends with doo-wop. It ends with it, like that. What's it called in the dark of the night? Yeah, in the, in the dark of the night. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, and that's how this film feels. It's yeah, that, it's that, slow, it's pacey, it's got tragedy underscoring it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, dude, it's not fun. <laughs> mm. Like you've watched it for eleven hours now. Yeah. I was I don't think I could watch it again for another couple of years. Yeah. Um and I think that's I, that's normal. not that's not to say <laughs> that's not to say I didn't like it. I did like it. I just I'm not rushing to watch it again. Whereas I watched Goodfellas last week and I could watch it again today. Yeah. I could watch Goodfellas six times today. Like that could be my entire day is watching Goodfellas, and I'd be a happy little chappy. We got to get into this digital acting thing, Simone style. Yeah, we got to go to the Simone the movie inspired. Yeah, and maybe Simone is part of the story leading yeah. up to this film. And by actually. the way, Simone, if you're wondering, is spelled S one M zero N backwards three. No, there's no. Backwards three, and it drove me crazy. That's for Mandela years. effect, dude. Because exactly. I remember that was a backwards three, and maybe in Australia that was the release, <laughs> and it drove me crazy. Or it drove me crazy there wasn't a backwards three. Then I realised yeah. that it's binary one and zero. Oh damn! And I'm like, okay, this movie's on a different level. Okay, this, this is, is some deep shit. This is cooler than and I thought. Simone is simulation one, oh, and he... they cut that stuff out. That's awesome. I've seen the movie. I haven't. You I've seen you... the front cover and I've read the back. Yeah. You've got that digital woman kind of drippling away. Yeah, just dude. like Turning uh, into pixels. Yeah. Man. So that movie's about Al Pacino who creates a digital actor who becomes a star. Yeah. And um, this movie is about Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. making stars into digital actors. God, and Cameron, that's you're my one of thesis. The most finest minds. <laughs> one of the finest minds. The way that you connect as things. my thesis. Oh, you're like yeah. Matrix. Yeah, thanks, man. You're like Neo. My you favorite doco. <laughs> you look at it the world and just see numbers. Mm. I would tell you that the CGI is. I think the f- at least the first time I watched it was a hurdle that I was never able to jump. Dude, yeah. I think that. Uh, I mean, but you've watched it three times now. Yeah. How do you feel on the third watch? There's still moments mm-hmm. like it's uh, it's unarguable that it's not a total success. Uh, where you're like, oh my god, like you know, I remember reading interviews like with producers going like, you're gonna see Robert De Niro look like he did when he did Godfather Part Two. Nope. And you're like, no, you're not. You can't. That's not possible. Do you know? Do you know the point where I really struggled mm. is in the first. I think it's the very first flashback. Yeah. The first time we're seeing CGI young yeah. Frank Sheeran and his truck breaks down and young Joe Pesci helps him out <clears throat> and Joe Pesci calls him kid. Yeah. But Joe Pesci goes, hey, what's the problem here, kid? And I was like, how fucking old is he supposed to be? Yeah. And I still don't know. I think he was supposed to be 30, I think he's but like he looked late, 50. I think he's late 30s. Like he'll be like 38, 40. Well, who knows? Yeah. But I think that's, I think that's the thing for me as well. Like that's a struggle uh, that this is. We know what these fucking mm. three guys, Pesci, Pacino, and De Niro, mm. have looked like for fifty years. Mm. We know what they've looked like at every point over those last fifty years. Yeah. We can imagine. You go, oh, what did De Niro look like when he was forty? I'm like, ah, oh, good fellas. Okay, I know what he looks like. Yeah. And to see mm. him play a character that's forty a lot of times in this movie. And not look like he did when he yeah. was in Goodfellas, or not look like what he did. He like you know, he should have looked like Midnight Run De Niro when he's fixing the truck. Jesus, and like you know, you would have loved that. Exactly, I would have been like, okay, okay, <laughs> slow this down a little bit. Um, but uh, 
and not only that, we've known that Pesci, Pacino, De Niro mm. have been like colleagues and friends for the last 50 years. And they're the same age. And they're the same age. <laughs> and now to see them play people that are not just younger than they are now, that are different ages from each other at if, at all points throughout this movie. It's, um, it's fucking weird. Maybe someone younger would not have that problem, though. Maybe someone that doesn't have this cultural context, maybe would just be like, yeah, <laughs> this so all weird. makes sense to me. But the thing the thing that I I was able to get more used to it the the further into the movie that it got, when, when I guess De Niro's character started getting closer to yeah. his actual age, there's still a bit of CGI, a bit of prosthetics, but I was able to reconcile a little yep. bit more. Then, after the movie, I googled what Frank Sheeran looked like, and I went, oh, yeah, he looks like Robert De Niro CGI. Like, yeah. He, he, they did a good job. He looks job. He looks like Frank Sheeran. He doesn't look like young De Niro. He looks like Frank Sheeran, mm. who, when he was 30... Was looked fifty and was and ugly, was ugly and, as fuck, and had big ears and a big nose. Yeah, yeah. And like, I think that's the thing is like, you know, you know that people when they get older, their nose and their ears grow. Yeah. I think that's the tough thing is like seeing like, oh, Robert De Niro didn't have a huge nose when he was like, yeah, forty. He had the most perfect nose. He looked beautiful. <laughs> he didn't have these big dangly ears when he was forty <laughs> either. And you know, it's even called attention to in a mm. scene in the movie where he's like, there's. A guy you're going to see with big ears, and it's like the Nero's ears yeah. are humongous. Yes, in this movie, why? How dare you bring up someone else's ears? That was weird, right? Especially yeah. when they they made a couple of jokes about how the guy's ears aren't even that big, and I'm yeah. like, at least someone. Just say that De Niro's ears are bigger. Yeah. Someone say it. Like, he should say it back to him. He's yeah. like, you look at my ears. Look at yours, you fucking freak. Totally. They got those weird blue eyes, too. Did they do any work on Pacino in this movie at all? Or is he just kind of as is? No, he's got work done, too. How much? Because it didn't look like much. I, he, yeah, it's, I, I bought it more with him. I think it's more delicate on him. Mm. And I think, mm. um, I think it's like... The weird thing is, Jimmy Hoffa never even lived here any age that Al Pacino's been, basically. Yeah. Because yeah. Al Pacino's about one million years old, I think. He's older than Bobby. Yeah, only a little bit older. he looks sensational. Yeah. I think it's just like he's... You know, he's a larger-than-life character based on, like, a real person. Yeah, And Pacino's listening to, like, fucking on his iPod, like, (laughs) Jimmy Hoffa speeches the entire time. Yeah, totally. So he's got more to work off from. And I think that, you know, Jimmy Hoffa is someone that even you and I kind of knew who he was. I only know him as a reference point for, like, like, someone who'd gone missing. Like, David Letterman jokes. Yeah, And probably Family Guy. Simpsons. 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 Yeah. Like, it's just been, like, this reference point, and he has been this icon, but I think people that, like us, are in tune with comedy, that's how we know him. Totally. As, like, this point, this, like, punchline yeah. uh, for mafia-related killings, basically. Yeah. Because he's been missing, and no one knew what happened to him for, like, you know, including now. Yeah, well, I mean, if this movie's accurate, then I guess we do know what happened, mm. but if this is just the ramblings of a 80-year-old... <laughs> Dying man, then who knows? Who knows? But I think that I would put it to you that uh, this technology is necessary for this film. Yeah, I want to get into this with you because I think I disagree. Mm. Um, And I've uh, we watched you and I I think both watched that uh, epic conversations chat with um, those guys from GQ. From GQ, and there's another couple of interviews with De Niro and Pacino where they talk about how. 
it was necessary to wait for the technology and all that kind of shit. Mm. And there was a point in time where they considered casting other actors. Mm. Do you know who they... I looked it up. Do you know who they were almost considering? Who? Because Pesci said no like almost a hundred times to mm. doing this movie. He didn't want to come out of retirement. Um, so they were like, well, De Niro will have to play Buffalino in that case then. Mm. And they talked about getting another collaborator of Scorsese to play the Sheeran role. Liam Neeson, because he is Irish mm. and kind of looks more similar mm. to Frank Sheeran than Robert yeah, De Niro yeah, does. Yeah. And I, I can see that, but they were like, he, we don't think he can do the accent for the whole movie. I mean, like, look at Taken, for example. <laughs> they kind of like, they're like, oh, he probably can't do it. And do you know who else they, I read they considered, this is on IMDb trivia, so, you know, you have to take it with like a whole fucking salt lamp, basically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't even want to say it because I think it sounds crazy. Because they didn't ask him. They just considered it. Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> oh, dude. I need Pierce Brosnan <laughs> to be in more high-profile movies. Yeah, deep fake this movie. For just a couple of scenes, I want to see Pierce Brosnan. I want Bros. to see Pierce Brosnan. He rules. Mm. Um, I think they could have got away with casting younger actors playing mm. the younger versions of them. It's not for that much of the movie, really. It's it about half. Not really. I mean, because when's the cutover point, though? When I would say go... about an hour in, I'd yeah. start transitioning into De Niro at about age fifty. Yeah. So you got a, another guy playing him at thirty, and then twenty years later, yeah. it's a different guy. I could buy that. Yeah. I think if it was the right actor and it was the right mood, mm. I think I could buy it. I like would... Looper style, dude. Oh God, no. <laughs> I don't think so. I would say that... I mean, like, this movie I th- delivers on the metatextuality of it being these people, I think. Like, I can't imagine other other actors playing these roles. And I think that... Like, Scorsese even talked about this himself, that we have been trained over a century of cinema to understand that a younger person can play an older person through the use of makeup. And, you know, yeah. like, and then, you know, mm-hmm. physically changing their body a little bit and like hunching over and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been times where it's done to great extent, but I think we've been trained to believe it, to readily believe it more because someone, a younger person playing an older person, they're not going to do it perfectly in the physical transformation mm-hmm. either beyond like the prosthetics with their body either. It's not going to be 100% perfect the same way that an older person playing a younger person is uh, definitely not going to be 100% perfect because their body has changed over time. Mm. And I think we've been trained to accept it in this other way for so long that um, this hurdle is almost impossible to leap over at this point in time because our brains have not been educated to accept it this other way because we understand what a young person looks like and what a person in their 50s moves like Mm -hmm. and to see you know what we know what Robert De Niro at age 40 kicking a guy in the head looks like yeah and to see it in this way you're like this is not it we know what Robert De Niro walking over rocks looks like at the age of 40 Mm. and this watching in this movie is not it but I think that I with training we'll understand it better maybe with over time it will be less obvious. I do always obvious. find it distracting even when it's um young person playing old person. Even in this yeah. movie, I can't remember the actor's name, but um he plays Herc in The Wire and he plays Fat Tony in this movie. Oh, uh, um, uh, Tony Salerno uh, with a really bald head. Yes, yeah, yeah. He yeah he plays Fat Tony in this and he's um covered in prosthetics. Yeah. And his he, head looks so clean. He's moving differently to how mm. I know that actor moves. And yeah. it's, it's always distracting. Yeah. Uh, the, you're right. 
and that's a very good point on ageism and mm. uh, on like the way that cinema has trained us and everything. But I do think that this technology, while impressive, was a trick, and I think they could have got away with it. They could have got away with using other actors. I don't think it was necessary mm. to tell this story. Look I at, can't look disagree at Goodfellas, more. man. Like Goodfellas well, starts with this young kid, and then you buy that kid as Ray Liotta. I know you can you buy, buy it that it. way, but it's like you know Ray Liotta can't play a fucking teenage boy. I know, but you buy think. that, right? Couldn't you buy yeah. like say if it was I don't know who the perfect actor is to play a young Robert De Niro, mm. but if they got the fucking cream of the crop, I'm talking yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, Joe, Joe GL, dude. <laughs> no, if they got someone, I don't know. I don't know who it would be. You have to discover someone that looks exactly like him, I think. For me, it's like, it's because this movie is structured as a rumination, this like regretful, remorseful look back on this fucking withered guy with no mm. soul looking mm. back on his entire life. And I think that's why I buy it more because I'm like, it has to be these icons at all times. It has to be Robert De Niro playing this character from start to finish or from end to start and to have him be like to me that metatextual layer over this whole film it's like oh I can believe that these guys are soulless withered guys crippled by them transgressing against the morals that have been laid down by man and God and living as these like awful sinners I almost said cinnamons. <laughs> Awful cinnamons, like living across the earth, um, being like these these fucking husks of humans. I can go, then go like, oh, that's why they look shit and why their bodies are withered. <laughs> that's you doing the work. There, yeah, I know right? it's me doing the work, yeah, but I'm like, that's yeah. why I'm like, this sings harmoniously to me. Okay, yeah. I just found it distracting, but I haven't put in the hours that you have. Yes. So I mean, maybe. I did that hour, like the first hour, like, okay, you got to buy into this, dude. You got to buy into I really this. tried, man. I really did. And, uh, and I think I bought... Uh, Pesci more they weren't making him look as young mm. thank god yeah <laughs> but uh, but I bought him more and I thought the Pacino the little things they did on Pacino were yeah. way more believable yeah yeah I think it's Rob De Niro has the most complicated it's tough t- yeah complicated version of it can we talk about these performances yeah we have to because yeah, yeah. especially these these three leading performances let's start on De Niro then yeah. because we've already been talking about him and, mm. and I want to say that I, from watching this movie, I don't understand what it is about Frank Sheeran that that De Niro felt he needed to go to this mm. well again. Um, yeah. As you said, Scorsese was a bit hesitant. We've covered this before. Mm. We've done this exact era yeah. of gangster stories. The fucking Copacabana's in this yeah. movie. You know, why go back there? What is it about Frank Sheeran that drew De Niro back in just when he thought he was out, mm. I don't see what it is because for me, this character is not remorseful and doesn't change. I Yeah, I don't think he changes. I don't think he is remorseful. I think the film is remorseful. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I think at the end of the movie, we are supposed to feel bad about, you know, everything that these people we've glorified have done. Yeah. Um, but Not why, glorified in this film, but glorified. Glorified yeah. in past films. And it's like the last hour especially is watching mm. a... A decrepit old man um, mm. who's commit done some really cool hits in his yeah. time, and you go, oh shit, God, this is sad watching a guy that I thought was cool be old. Mm. But um, but why why would De Niro want to play this character? It's it's not really an extension of anything. Yeah, and it's mm. not an extension of anything he's done exactly like uh, character wise. Because I think mm. a lot of his gangsters have been really charismatic. Totally, and this is a guy that is the opposite. He's of a that. follower. 
He's, he's a like follower. The beta and uh, Pacino's the alpha. Yeah, and and Pesci's the alpha as well. Yeah, so I think yeah. that you know he's often played the alpha over Pesci in films, and I think mm. that what he would connect to the character is like this inherent true sadness about him like this loserness of him mm. and like that you know he's he it's, Scorsese talks about how like De Niro wept when he was telling him about the character and I think the key scene watching it this third time the key scene where I think it's like one of the best moments in like De Niro late De Niro career definitely is when he has to make the call to Joe Hoffa Hoffa's wife yeah that's wonderful like days after yeah. he's fucking shot the guy in the head and mm. killed him and he's just like this stammering mess and I think he's calling her more like for him to for her to wish condolences on him yeah. for everything that he's mm. done I don't think he's sorry for anything he's done he just is like well I had to do everything I've, I had no choice to do anything and I think that this is more a lot of these other people, these gangsters that he's played and these bad men that he's played, it's been their choice to go into this world mm. and to uh, to live the lavish lifestyle, to sin, to live in a lavish lifestyle. I think this movie is like, it just, it very passively happens to him that he starts working in this world. Like he meets Pesci, he meets Romano, he meets Bobby Cannavale, he meets... Uh, uh, Harvey Keitel mm. and they all just slowly keep bringing him up these ranks and like you said he's this sheep going through them mm. so I think it's like De Niro playing like this guy that's been trapped in this life but didn't know anything else and it's like this mm. I think it's also like it's I think it's that trapped feeling it seems this stammering mess of this guy that was like, very impressive I just think it's like I also thought when I was watching that scene I actually don't think I've seen anyone even talk like that in cinema before it was i've seen emotional stammering obviously in a million things but the specific way he was doing it i was like man this is a new de niro yeah performance he's like not saying anything it's it's, he's just mumbling it's really sad yeah and it's really impressive that you know as i said that last hour is really sensational Mm. um yeah, those moments in particular. And yeah, I don't... I think I agree with you. I don't think he is sorry, mm. ever. Yeah. But I also think that that's a um, a tough thing as a viewer to get three hours into a movie and not see the character reckon with what he's done. Yeah. And, you know, we're getting into the end of the movie now, but, you know, when he's a very old man and he's talking to the priest... And the priest says something along basically what I just said. Like, do you feel bad about all this transgressions you've made in your life? He says no. And all he says... And I believe it. He says, like, who makes a... What kind of man makes a phone call like that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's the only thing that he feels bad about is, like, the phone call, not doing the killing. Or I think it's the only thing that he's open to feeling bad about, really. Mm, mm. I think that he maybe deep down he feels bad and remorseful but I think that it would fucking destroy him to um, admit to that I think that's what the tough thing about this performance is and like why it's so like you said it's so specific what he has to do in this Mm. movie yeah okay look I I think he's obviously we love him we think Mm. he's one of the greatest comedians and that's uh, ever crossed the board yeah I'm one of the greatest actors but um but yeah, this was a tough one for me to really see the charisma in. And maybe mm. it's the lack of charisma that I should have been looking at. It's yeah. the blank canvas rather than the 
dashes of paint because on the opposite side, mm. you have one of the flashiest performances that Al Pacino has given in the last two decades. I'd say that it's like pure 90s Pacino, but like oh, yeah. at a level of expertise and under such beautiful direction mm. that it just, it's better than all the work that he did then as well. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of, um, what's his name from um, Glengarry Glen Ross? Ricky Roma. Ricky Roma. Yeah. It's a very Ricky Roma performance. Yeah. And it's a hell of a performance. It's stunning. How do we want to begin with this guy? Because I know nothing about Jimmy Hoffa other than the, mm. the punchline. Though. I only know it from reading the book. I mean, like this Teamster union boss who was a giant celebrity, basically, yeah. as almost as famous as the President of the United States of America. Yeah. Uh, Jackie Kennedy. <laughs> I, you don't know Jack. <laughs> and um, I think that Pacino playing him as this like larger-than-life guy... This really charismatic... Oh, God. I just, like... This is full of such beautiful Pacinoisms, this performance. Mm, mm. Of, like, the the scale of his voice. Oh, and the volume of his voice. The way that it goes up and down. It's like... You know, it's like just... Oh, God. Okay, finest Pacino moment in this movie, then. From yeah, me? Yeah, finest moment. Well, uh, I have this little observation about Pacino yeah. that I adore. Mm. Um, and that is that he has this magnificent ability for someone who's so capable at being terrifying and badass mm. and strong and alpha. Yeah. He has this talent for tapping into being kind of camp mm. in a yes. way that not many other uh, alpha male actors mm. can. Um, <laughs> I always think I've what's that fucking movie where he plays a singer? He plays like a Neil Diamond type singer. Oh, it's only from a few years ago. It's got Bobby. Carvalho oh, is it Manglehorn? Danny Collins. Danny Collins. Yeah, yeah. Which is a bad movie, but yeah. he's very fun in that. Is that directed by David Gordon Green or something? Oh, I don't think so. Maybe something it is. Like I don't know. But um, he's also touches on camp in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm. with his character, you know, like um, Mr. and Mrs. Schwartz. Yeah. We watched your film last night. Yeah. And in this movie, he has some wonderful moments with the little kids where he's kind of like beloved by oh, the kid. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, where he's quite fun and light and silly to see him go from that. You know, when he brings up the Sunday and he's like, I'm sorry, everyone, this is just for me and Penny. Like he's quite silly and camp and a little bit fun. And then to go from that into just a scene earlier where he's going like, if you got it, it came on a truck. Yeah. Different guy. Exactly. It, the range of the guy is what makes him so special. Uh, the the moment for me where I'm like, this is the expert performance. There's a few, and but this one is like when at like the, the night honoring Frank Sheeran as a oh, teamster. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Pacino gives this, you know, this speech, you know, saying it's what an honor it is to honor his best friend. Mm. And she was like, this is the honor of my whole life. A lot of honor talk going on. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, Pacino has like this big conversation with him and Pesci where they kind of go head to head and it's very quiet. Mm. Pesci's very quiet. So Love good. that about so that good. performance. So and then Pacino's at like, uh, you know, to quote um, one of my favorite films <laughs> of all time, the guy's reaching up to 11 or thereabouts, which is the direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he and it then the following conversation between Frank Sheeran and Jimmy Hoffa, where Frank stammers his way to basically saying like it is what it is, mm. as like you know they they can kill the president, mm. which love that little detail. That yeah, they, the yeah, mafia takes ownership good. over that killing. Love it. Uh, to then uh, if they can kill the president of the union, and that look of 
disgust and betrayal that he's like of half of him like then go like oh it's impossible then to go like they wouldn't dare yeah that moment I'm like this is some of the like this is late days Pacino greatness yeah like yeah I think the I think the Oscars this year we could get a performance sweep for leading and supporting actors perhaps for this movie because I feel like dude they want like Pacino's only no one one drops the ball man yeah no one drops the ball on this it's like you just mentioned Pesci's quietness that's Mm. what I love about him in this movie and I love how freaking skinny he is oh he's like an old man I love it he's got that perfect posture as well where I think it's easier to buy him throughout the whole movie not just because he's not playing as young as De Niro yeah but it's um his posture never lets up you're like he looks the right ages. Totally. It's and maybe it's because we haven't him. seen him as much I think the that's last why, two he's, decades. He's, gone, he's been gone. Yeah. He's only come back for that Snickers commercial. That Snickers commercial. He did that movie. <laughs> with, uh, Taylor Hackford did it. The Love Ranch. Oh, starring right. Taylor Hackford's wife, Helen Mirren, where they play like right. bordello owners. He's a small role in The Good Shepherd. Okay. But that's kind of it. Yeah. And he's an interesting actor too because we always associate him with those hotheads mm. that he played early in his career or possibly with the like, he's so funny in Home Alone 1 and 2. And he's My like, Cousin Vinny yeah, as well. Yeah, totally. But they're all like quite motor-mouthy, hot-heady yep. little characters. This character is very different. And I think the first time we meet him, he's I mean, we meet him as an old man, mm. but then the first hint of a flashback we get when... Uh, his wife Charmaine Bucco, <laughs> yeah, is remembering Naducci. Remembering him coming home covered in blood, yeah. And I thought that that was going to be a setup to another one of these classic mm. Pesci characters. Like yeah. we're going to see him stabbing people in the back of cars yeah. and going crazy, glassing people. Yeah, but it's not. It's the only time we see a hint of violence yes. in the man, and it's remorseful because he yeah. comes home covered in blood. He looks sad. Yeah, and he slowly takes his slippers off <gasps> and like. Walks up the stairs, and and then every other time we see him in the movie, it's quite, it's gentle. He doesn't even argue with his wife. Yeah, he asks her to not smoke in the car. She starts smoking the car anyway, and he just like sighs. Yeah, he he's like a, it's a different performance from the guy. You just hit something that I've been kind of clo- like close to thinking about. Really, mm. is like the use of empathy in this movie, especially with that character. Like you just talked about how like he feels sorry because he's killed someone mm. or like feel like sad. Mm. And I think that like uh, these characters, they only have empathy for each other, for the men that they're around. Mm. It's empathy for masculinity and machismo only because the only other real moment of empathy we've seen between, between two characters is that beautiful scene of Pesci and De Niro getting to know each other dipping their bread into wine and oh, speaking yeah. Italian yeah. where, you know, they find out they have stuff in common where, like, you know, De Niro's been to Catania. That's where Pesci's from. Yeah. So they feel seen by each other. And then De Niro talks about how he killed people in the war. And there's that moment where, like, Pesci's like, that's awful. Like, basically mm. saying, like, that's awful. Mingya, mingya. Mm. That's shit. And then, mm. like, and I think it's like they see they see each other in that moment. I think that's why that friendship is so beautifully strong because I think they only see empathy for each other we talked about how uh, this film 
in Goodfellas last week, the relationship between uh, or the portrayal of women in those movies, it's like shows. It's all about the wives and the girlfriends, the mm. mistresses, and it's all about using the spoils of their warfare to uh, lavish them in gifts and dress them in like you know stunning and over the top clothes to give them the, a life uh, worthy of you know you putting all these sins. This movie spends fucking one minute on wives and yeah. girlfriends. Yeah. Like, even when De Niro leaves his first wife for his new wife, it's like a, a second is spent and glossing over that. We never really that. see her again. We never see her again. All the female perspective is built up in this really clever way on daughters. Mm. I think this film is all about fathers and daughters, and I found that really striking uh, because... It's not about making the women complicit the way that Goodfellas Casino and like other gangster movies have done for generations. This is so different because it's all about them trying to find forgiveness or acceptance or affection from hmm. their daughters. Who, I mean, you know, in cinema and art, a daughter is is like the most innocent symbol that you can kind of really put on. Like hmm. a, that and baby Jesus, I guess, are like the two. <laughs> most innocent symbols that it could ever be in a gangster film or in art ever. And I think that uh, them spending so much time, these three men and all of them just pouring over, trying to get the affection of Peggy, who's later played by Anna Paquin in like another Mm. incredible performance, Mm. uh, just focusing on that and her rejecting them. Like... Joe Pesci going, oh, she said thank you once. That's yeah. enough. Yeah. That's pathetic. That's so sad because she's looking at them with these giant eyes, wordlessly, kind of judging them like she's a fucking god that will never forgive them. And also, like, uh, Pesci's character just wants Peggy to like him. Yeah. And she will. Ne- she never gives it to him. Yeah. Never. I and- mean, he bombs with that joke. <laughs> It's hilarious. It's the funniest it's joke I've ever heard. Bump their heads on it when they fly around. God, that was cute. <laughs> it was it's so just cute. A joke. It's a his joke. face, like his face God. when he's telling. He us looks so, so much like my papu. I tell you. Oh really? Yeah, I'll show you a photo after. It looks exactly like Joe Pesci <laughs> in this movie. And you know, De Niro going like, "Oh, she's shy. She's scared of me too." Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell! Very Disgusting. Telling, yeah. Very telling. I gotta say, uh, before we move on to the other mm-hmm. character actors in this and the other. Performances, seeing uh, when it kind of jumps forward and we see Anna Paquin as the daughter, mm. and then Jesse Plemons as um, yeah, as Hoffa's son Chucky. I was distracted by the fact that they didn't get a line of dialogue for mm. about an hour. Yeah, that kind of and I'm look, I'm a TV guy. Yeah, so I know that I, these are heroes of mine from yeah. TV. <laughs> and you love were... that True Blood. You love <laughs> you love Fargo. You I'm love a Breaking Bad guy. Breaking Bad. And then to watch to watch both of them. Who isn't Anna Park on a freaking Oscar winner? Yeah, for the piano with yeah. Harvey Keitel, also see, in this movie. To see, <laughs> to see them not share a scene. I mean, <laughs> and to see her not for this say anything. Up? I was so weirded out by that. Like she had maybe two lines of dialogue. But that's a feature, not a bug of the movie. Like, I know that's... it's a feature, not a bug, but it bugs to me. Really? I, I think was kind of like, insane. come on, give her a fucking line. She's an Oscar winner. You're picking you, nits. No, I'm not, dude. You're I think it's fair nits. to say that it's unfair to give Anna Paquin two lines of dialogue in a movie. I think... She's an Oscar winner and she's a celebrated actor of her generation and she says, why? And then, no. Okay, the we'll go back to says. fucking the movie she won the Oscar for, The Piano, when she's a little girl. Uh-huh. 
Uh, fucking Holly Hunter has zero lines of dialogue in that movie. It's all about her. And she won <laughs> the fucking Oscar. Yes, exactly. <laughs> lines and screen time are not inherent to wonderful performance and characterization. I agree, but this character's not a mute. She literally just sits there. Well, she and doesn't want to talk to her, and dad. And also, Jesse Plemons is a great actor, too, and he yeah. didn't really get anything till the fish scene. Which yeah, is which is great. A great scene. But, but still, you know, you know, what, that, what's that he going to do? Like, oh, geez, dad, you're in another pickle here. It what's he going to say? It bugged me. I think that's such a nitpick. No. It's not because you agree with me saying that uh, that great uh, that dialogue and screen time does not equal great performance. Of course, or characterization. of course, of course. But there's a difference between having a character just stare at her dad while he does something bad and uh, giving a bit more nuance to the character. Well, what is better for that or for her to go like? God, I hate you, you piece of shit, old bastard. Give You're a soulless character that ruined my life from day one. I've got complexes about you and stuff like that. She What's better? That. She could have solved yeah, that Yeah, better than me. She's a better actor than me. <laughs> but I think that that's a weaker movie to have a moment like that where you're like, to have a ham-fisted dialogue scene. I don't... You've got what the whole thing is You've added that. ham-fisted. I never said, let's okay, give her a ham-fisted yes. line. <laughs> you wanted said, ham-fisted. Let's, let's spell... Let's give her a little more to do. That's all I said. I think there's plenty to do. I think... I mean, it is strange to have, like, a, an actor that's very recognisable in a small it's role very, like It's that. strange to me. But, you know, it, it, who else could it be, like, Christine Milanotti, who plays the mum from How I Met Your Mother? Yeah. You know, that's that's more someone you're used to seeing in a role like that. Yes, but yeah. yes, yes. I think I just think it's strange to for an Oscar winner. I think it is strange, but I'm like, it's such a good performance from her. I'm glad that she's in it, you know? She's great. She is great. She's a magnificent actor. Yeah. And Give I'm more. proud to claim her as Australian, <laughs> as a New Zealander, that she spent zero time <laughs> in this country. Uh, okay, let's move on to our other actors. Now, I think you and I are both a little bit excited about... Mm. Um, <laughs> There are three comedians in this movie. Yes. There are three comedians, Finally. not including De Niro. Finally, let's talk about some funny people. Okay. Obviously, De Niro's hilarious, but... Yeah. In this movie. In this movie, he's so funny. Yeah, Ray freaking Romano. Unbelievable. Great performance. So exciting to see a sitcom star mm. and a fucking hilarious comedian... Just, and a man of a certain age. And a man of a certain age. And a man who's definitely been through parenthood. Yeah, the guy's um, been through parenthood. The guy's uh, worked in the office. The man who welcomed me to Mooseport. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a friend of ours, Ian Barr, had a tweet where he was like, uh, the Ray Romano's like ascent to one of the great character actors mm. makes a more fitting end to Gene Hackman's <laughs> career ending in Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> Well, how good is it to see him just acting in this? And he's like funny, but he's not—he's not a comedy character. He's funny the way, like, um, you know, just the funny. The dialogue in this movie is quite funny. Yeah, it's just like to have an expert like that. It's so exciting oh, and so God. wonderful. God, I love him in this. I adore the guy in this. I, it's also crazy to me that he's in the movie more than Harvey Keitel is. Mm, yeah. That blew my mind. But I think, like you know, having a a guy that's as legendary as the three leads in this mm. in this small role, it says a lot. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that this Ray Romano performance, just like, oh god, I I wish it was there were there was no Pacino or Pesci in this movie, so he could be considered for the Oscar, which was just about the trial of Frank Sheeran. <laughs> it's just so cool seeing him like hold his own against those dudes mm. in the scene because. He must have been nervous, yeah. but it doesn't read at all. He's like fucking around with them and yeah. joking around and shit. It's awesome. 
God, I don't even know how to articulate how much I love him in this movie. I know. The other comedian that was such a surprise, yeah. another Italian-American comedian, yes. Sebastian Maniscalco. You've seen him perform live, I've seen right? him live, and I wasn't even a fan, but he was, he came out here, and I saw him at the Enmore Theatre. I got a free ticket. I went. Okay, no bragging, yeah, mister. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I'm in showbiz. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, let's see you what this You got let in the back. Oh, he probably did at the end of theatre. Copacabana style. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a, a theatre full of Italian Australians. Mm. And the roars of laughter this yeah. guy was getting. And I, was watch- I didn't know I was watching a man who I would one day see. Get clipped. Get clipped <laughs> and also intimidate. Robert De Niro. And he was fucking great in that sequence. I can't believe... I haven't seen him in another movie before. I've seen his stand-up, but I've not seen him... He's been mm. in a couple of movies. He's had, like, little bit parts and things. In, like, it? more comedies and stuff, yeah, right? Like yeah, yeah. Is he in the house? He's in the house playing yeah. himself, which is a really funny role. He's <laughs> <laughs> really funny in that. Um, and he's in something else recently where he plays a priest. Mm. Tag. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> he's in the movie Weird. Tag. But <laughs> playing a priest. This is, like, a really... Great dramatic performance because he's playing. He's playing almost like that young De Niro or Pesci, where mm. he's like got this. He looks very glamorous. Yeah, like he looks dark shades and stuff. Dark shades, great, beautiful suit, great really cut. handsome guy as well. Handsome guy. He's fucking intense. Yeah, and I've I've watched an interview with him on Kimmel or something recently where he was talking about it, and uh, he just talked about how nervous he was. He just spent the whole time quiet, mm. didn't talk to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, a, you're an Italian-American guy that obviously yeah. worships Pacino, De Niro, Pesci, yeah. and then you've got to, like, intimidate them. That would be so hard. He's wonderful. And it's such a small part. I mean, he's in the movie for about four minutes, mm. and uh, he gets beautifully assassinated. Yeah. Uh, that scene is so good where it's De Niro great. assass... It's so perfectly laid out where it's, like, that heist thing of going, like, this is how it goes down. These are the ways that you can do it. Yeah. I think those are the moments that sing to the authenticity in this film. Mm. Where we've only talked about the metatextuality of it, but the authenticity of it reminds me of, like, Casino. There's this shot where um, an, older, an older guy, like, in the mafia, just, like, walks behind someone, quickly whips his son's pistol out, shoots him in the head, and as a person falls down on the ground, just keeps shooting their body and keeps walking, like, in yes, a car park. Yeah. And in that, uh, the making of stuff about that film... Uh, the behind the scenes, that person is a real mafia hitman. Hmm. The actor playing it is a real mafia hitman wow. who was a consultant on the movie. And he's like, yeah, this is how we did it and just hmm. did it. And I think that this film, having Frank Sheeran from the book lay out how you do these things. Oh, you can go to the bathroom first, but you know, a small place like this, you know, the daughter's there, the family's there, they should see it all because, you know, that's the way that this life is. Wild. And it's like, and like how boringly and coldly and stammery and slow. And it's not even like a beautiful restaurant. They're just in like a fucking... It's a little clam shack. Yeah, a little... It's corner, it's on the corner, yeah. it's got a Pepsi sign. Yeah, exactly. You got the beautiful Pepsi logo. <laughs> yeah, uh wonderful. I in fact watching and I'm I I feel bad for not raving about Ray Moore because I, I really love him mm. and I, I think you and I both see an Oscar in his future. Yes. Much okay. in the way we saw one in Sandler's future which might come true. Um I see Cameron, uh, can you correct yourself? Will yeah. come true. Thank will you. True. I see a career for Sebastian Maniscalco, that is, I, I see him being like a John Leguizamo type. 
Oh, I like hope. A character actor yeah. who can do dramas and he's the funny guy in it or yeah. he's got like a motor mouthy kind of yeah. wise ass in I could see him being in more gangster movies. Yeah, I hope. I mean, the cool thing is like he's not even funny in this movie. Yeah. Like, oh, he gets know, one laugh line. He gets one laugh line, but it's not like he's not a funny character the way that Joe Pesci in Goodfellas yeah, is. I yeah. mean, I dare not call him it, but he is funny. <laughs> I dare not. Yeah, you wouldn't say to his face. I, yeah, and you know another comedian in this, one oh, of the true legends. This is something you teased to me, and I I still wasn't prepared for it because that was the first thing that I, when I saw the movie, that was the first time I'm like, oh my, that was my jaw drop moment. <laughs> is this cameo that's in the film? <laughs> and I like texted you immediately after I left. I'm like, yeah. there's a cameo in this movie that's gonna knock your dick into the dust. <laughs> yeah, because it's like it's such a the perfect cameo yeah. ever in a film yeah. that's like perfectly cast and perfectly realized there and also just so so us right yeah now. totally because don rickles is someone who was in casino uh-huh. but for people like you and i comedians like there's like five greater heroes than him ever and they're yeah. De Niro, pacino and pesci <laughs> <laughs> but like don rickles is truly one of my favorite comedians of all yeah, time absolutely and one of the only old school comedians that i think you can get so much out of still watching i think so too i mean i've been on a bender of watching all his shit lately after mm. seeing this movie mm. and it all really uh, not all, but most of it really holds up. Like the yeah. guy, um, some of the jokes don't hold up, especially no. like you know he talks about race a lot. Yeah, but I, I don't mind that, man. I'm oh, like, yeah, we laugh, we all make fun of each other, you know, we make fun of everyone, even it the Italians. The not those ones. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. It was the time mm. he was that kind of guy. I don't, I don't think anyone else could do it the way he could do it. Yeah. Um, and he's so mob affiliated, mm, like Sinatra. He, you know, he's of that Vegas Sinatra Rat Pack era. So you know that when you think of Don Rickles, you think about the audience that he would have performed to a lot were for corporate guys. events <laughs> at the Copacabana. Yeah, largely mob guys who mm. loved him. I mean, I mean the famous Don Rickles story, and there's so many of them. But one of the famous Don Rickles stories is that he was insulting a mob boss's wife mm. to their faces yeah. and he called her a moose. <laughs> hey, and, welcome to Mooseport. Okay. And they were loving it. Yeah. They were like doubled over laughing. <laughs> yeah. Whereas other comedians like had been shot and killed in Vegas yeah. for similar things. He just had some way of being able to do it. Mm. And uh, we get to see well, Don Rickles in this movie. You do it with love. And who plays Donnie? Jim Norton. And who is someone that is worships him. Like that's yeah. you know, there's comedians where you go like that's the lineage, or like, you know, it's very clear who their idol is. And Jim yeah. Norton's idol is Don Rickles. Yeah. And when I after I saw the Irish was like, there's a cameo gonna love in it, and I just sent you a photo of Don Rickles and Jim Norton hugging each other. Crazy. And it's like, I don't like, did you even believe me? No. And it's how good and is I that? And I still moment? wasn't prepared for it, and then I I, I saw it. And he looks like him. He looks mm. so much like him. And he's he doing like, like him. doing the gear, doing the like, I mean, come on, this is America. This is what we do. We make fun of each other. We laugh, blah, blah, blah. It was beautiful. What a weird moment in cinema yeah. that that happened. Yeah. And I don't think Jim Norton will ever be in a Scorsese movie again. Yeah. Or a good movie again. Probably. Or a movie again. Yeah. But or it was on exciting. This earth. He got to do uh, it. Yeah, exactly. He got to, do it. he got to play his hero. Yeah. 
in uh, a film by arguably the greatest, you know, maker of cinema ever. Mm. It's very exciting. And there's all these, like, you know, other wonderful character actors and people kind of popping up. Um, Stephen Graham, in particular, who plays Tony Pro in this movie, Tony Provenzano. That was special. He's an English actor who's so convincing and so intimidating this film to go head to head with Pacino that way. Multiple times. Multiple times. And, like, he talks about being nervous for it. And then he talks about how he's like, I'm in a scene with Pacino and De Niro, and De Niro has no dialogue. So I threw a line at him because so, I knew that he did provide something back, which is the 12 and a half minutes in the meeting where it's like, <laughs> it's like 15 minutes, like, well, how about 10? And then he goes, what about for you, Frank? He's like, well, 12 and a half. <laughs> that was an improv? Yeah, that was an improv. That's funny. And it's like... You I know, got a laugh out of me. Yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> it's very, very... I mean, that's why it's one of the great comics. <laughs> and... um. Uh, Stephen Graham's like kind of like the new icon, I would say, of gangster. I just had never seen him in anything other than Snatch. He's in Snatch. He's in lots of stuff, but uh, in particular, he's played Al Capone on Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, I can see. It. He's got a round face. Yeah, and I was like, I always thought it was weird that he was Al Capone he's got in that a Bob show. Bob Hoskins vibe. Oh my god, who almost was Al Capone in The Untouchables? Yes, yeah, dude. First or second choice after De Niro, and I think Stephen Graham in this movie, I'm like, the guy is a hero. He's great. The guy is a hero. So funny, so charismatic, so scary. I couldn't believe I hadn't seen him in anything else other than mm. Snatch, which was a long time ago. Yeah. You, maybe there's a couple other things. He's a character actor you've seen. Oh, This Is England? He's in I, this is I've England. never seen that. Oh, Cameron, you will love it. I'm too scared. Soccer hooligans freak me out. <laughs> Yeah, Great Street Hooligans is your scariest movie. <laughs> um, but talking about like the look of like the character actors, like you know, it's it's sad that Frank Vincent's no longer with us. Mm. It's the first time that Pacino, Pesci, and De Niro and Scorsese have collaborated without him. Mm. Um, sadly, he did pass away. But um, uh, Kate Jinx shared this tweet with me. Uh, it's from at Morton. My friend who did wardrobe for the Irishman told me that all the background actors were recruited from two Facebook groups, Italian-American Appreciation Group and Mafia Appreciation Group. And every time Pesci came on set, they all cheered. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And that just makes me think of like, there's this great scene that I think is like, you know, one of the theses for the film that I put forward is like right after that brutal murder of Jimmy Hoffa, the next scene is like cut straight away to this slow motion Ray Romano walking his daughter mm, up mm. the aisle, like this really ritualistic like fashion. It's like, you know, bringing her into this world. She's accepted like the, the spoils of this world as well. She's being like, you know, canonized in it with them. And it's just all shots of these like, you know, very Italian looking men these guys that look like, you know, like they look like characters, all these mm. men, all these extras in slow motion, kind of looking on, looking for that same affection. And like this time they're getting it because they're, it, they're all these people come from all around the country to be at this wedding. And they're like, yep, yeah, this, we've got the affection from one of the daughters. Yeah. Right. I don't even, I guess I'd, You've watched it more than me. Okay, that was viewing one. I feel I wrote that note viewing one. I feel unprepared. I watched that viewing one, dude, and I'm like, okay, this I is I was it. too busy Snap focused on Romano's face in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally. I couldn't take my Not since the music switches in the opening titles. <laughs> 
do that operatic theme in Everybody Loves Frank Raymond. Frank and Marie are gonna come over. <laughs> Coming over, quick, hop on the bonnet of that little toy car and slide across <laughs> to the door and lock it. This is how I understand him in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we're at like an hour, but there's still stuff to cover. Shall we just go through like speed run of some of the other things that? Yeah, you know... what else have you got? What's some? Well, that last hour is like magnificent. Mm-hmm. Where like from that point that we just discussed that wedding, it's just like becomes like this really slow um, descent or living in purgatory for Frank Sheeran, where he's like in prison, he's in an old folks' home, mm. his wife dies. Then he has to like go around collect. She dies of like lung cancer, and then the next scene is him shambling around his house collecting the durries that are yeah. been sitting in all the ashtrays. I'm yeah. like, God, it's heartbreaking. But it's like this guy has no soul. What's he, you know? He's just living here on Earth with none of his do friends you, around. Do you think the purpose of this last hour is to make us feel bad for? No. Loving all those old gangster movies. Oh, yes, I would say. If I would say for loving Frank Sheeran, like, you loved him? No, no, <laughs> like, no, no, no. He's no, my papa. Obviously, we didn't like Frank Sheeran, yeah. but uh, but we love Goodfellas. Yeah. You know, we love Casino. We love all that stuff. Mm. Is this a judgment on us? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, that's what uh, we talked about Goodfellas. I'm like, it's challenging you because you're like, mm. you're having fun during this horrible nightmare. I don't think yeah. Scorsese is going like, oh, I want to make a fun movie. It's like, I want to make a fun movie to challenge you. Mm. And I think that you're so right that this is, like I say, the epilogue of this saga of gangster cinema that we've lived through. And I think that's what it is. It's going to like, yeah, this is what the reality of this all is. It's, it's sad long, and dude. it sucks. It's long. I really... um. I was surprised by how long the final mm. third went for. And it's got you know, like him buying a coffin from like Action Bronson and that was stuff. Sick. Like, that was awesome cameo. That well. was an awesome cameo. Yeah. But they're not even cameos, just like casting the perfect person to yeah, be in these Yeah, that was very roles. fun. That was, there's was a lot of great stuff. You know, he's mm. like, he's got his carer mm. and he's kind of like got a fun relationship with him. And then there's all the stuff in the nursing home with the priest. It's, it's quite nice. Mm. You know, every every moment of it is earned yeah but it is still it does feel like purgatory and i feel like that is a deliberate choice to go absolutely hey after a life of insane high stakes stuff you still have to live yeah another 20 fucking years of just being looked after and not really doing anything and And what was it all worth yeah jack shit no one loves you you've got no friends doesn't get the flashy lifestyle that that his characters got in earlier films he just he just lives in this fucking house and yeah. it's filled with cigarettes and his daughters don't like him and he um fucking ends up in a nursing home like anyone else. Yeah. He's not a millionaire. He just lives in this fucking nursing home and doesn't want the door shut. I think like you I think that you answer your own question here of like why did De Niro want to play this? I'm like hmm. it's almost like, yeah, I'm gonna atone for my sins. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It does feel like glamorizing these people or people allowing people to think I'm glamorizing these people. Yeah. Now, how much truth is in this story, dude? What do you think? I believed every second of this, especially Jim Norton. (laughs) I mean We laugh. Do you think Frank Sheeran killed um I don't know, because it's all these things like, you know, there's another book that I've got on my shelf here, the oh, is it the Iceman? Or Gas Pipe. There's another gangster book that came out around the same era that 
uh, I read and uh, hear you paint houses, mm. uh, and I think it might be the Iceman that was turned into that Michael Shannon movie with Chris Evans and stuff mm. a few years ago. Very much like Goodfellas child mm. um where uh they claimed to have killed him too and the way they got rid of the body was like they crunched him up and put him in a car then they crunched the car up and like shipped it away hmm. so i'm like there's multiple stories no one really knows the truth hmm. i mean i feel like this is as good as any and scorsese said like that he researched and he's like yeah it checks out and i feel like yeah. the guy who if anyone had the love of a community to find that out yeah, that's true. Damn. I mean, that's very sad then. Mm. Because the moment where he uh the moment where he kills him was actually the first emotional thing I felt in the movie. Really. Yeah, it's pretty hard. I was enjoying it and everything and then that that was quite sad. Mm. But it comes right after the funniest part in the movie as well, which yeah. is that whole fish. That whole fish cool. thing, especially, is so funny because the guy that he's like, I'm not sitting in the front because the guy he knows the guy strangled someone yeah, yeah. from the back seat. The guy's like, just like, I'm not sitting in the front. You're sitting in the front. I'm sitting behind you. And then the crushing moment where he's like, Oh, Frank, you're in the car, mm. and he nods to let him in. Yeah, it's like fuck, you're cold. His like son, it's, though, too. Like all of them, it's awful. Bringing them all into it. I love it when, because, uh, you know, the big thing is that there's water on the seat from a fish and mm. they've been talking about it for ages. I love mm. it when uh, Jimmy Hoffa's like to his son, you got to wrap up fish tight. Yeah. You got to wrap it up. That's going to help you a lot in this life. Yeah, giving you those messages what? like, <laughs> if, you got a, if he's got a gun, you you charge. Yeah. If he's got a knife, you run away. If he's got a gun, you run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's oh man, that's that's life. That's life lessons. <laughs> I've thought about that a lot. Wrap like if someone fish. pulls a gun, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna yeah, run yeah, at yeah. them. I'm gonna charge. But if also wrap a fish up. Yeah. You don't want to get a fish in the car, dude. You don't want to get the smell out. Yeah, exactly. You don't want no <laughs> pesci, you know. I think overall, I really, really enjoyed this movie, especially mm. the last half. But, yeah. but I will stand by the fact that I think the first hour and a half was tough for me to get over the CGI. Mm, yeah. I and, I think that's undeniable. Yeah. Like it's it is it is something you're gonna combat. I found it less jarring watching it at home than on the big screen. Mm. But um I think, you know, it's new technology. It's probably the boldest use of technology uh, and, like, revolutionary technology that Scorsese's ever used in the film. Ah, uh, hello, Hugo. Yeah, uh, Hugo, hello. Hugo, you got a bass. You got- <laughs> <laughs> that is, no one else will yeah, get that. Just for us. <laughs> just, for- just for us. <laughs> Hugo, you got a bass. <laughs> Uh, but you know like Hugo was the other one that's like that leap forward in like you know testing new technologies but you know Avatar already existed and like it'd been used in Life of Pi it's around the same time or a year later where I was like this one no one's done it yet I Mm. mean just the Marvel movies and that's for snippets this is like using it to really create character rather than just go, oh, look, uh, you know, Iron Man's a teenager or, oh, yeah. look, you know, Michael Douglas is cool for a minute. He's sort of old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, this uses it for a purpose. And it's I true. think it's to, like, to show, like, to look back. Now, I don't remember. I think they didn't use the same people that Marvel used. No, this is, oh, it might be. It's ILM. It's ILM. I don't think Marvel use ILM. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, isn't ILM in? I think they use that other company. That's not Weta. Not Weta. The um. That's Gollum Silicon Tech. Valley. Uh, <laughs> yeah, then it is Gollum Tech. Yeah. I mean, Thank this God. movie would be better Although, if it was all with Gollum. With Joe Pesci, maybe they did. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, but uh, but it doesn't look as good as the Marvel films. Mm. Um, the effects, I don't think. I think with the Marvel films, it's more controlled. Like you know, that's it's more controlled. Whereas this is like because it's smaller doses. Whereas like this is like you know we have to do a lot of it. Yeah, and um, uh, I. Th- I think they talked about... I don't know if this is how they do in the Marvel films, but they, they waited long enough to make this film so they wouldn't have to use the headsets and stuff. Hmm. So they wouldn't have to have dots on their faces because yeah. it was so important for these actors who've never worked in that format mm. before mm. to really just like be in the moment with the performance. Yeah. Look, I, I think um, that that was distracting, but apart from that, I did enjoy the movie. Mm. I took away the message that I believe... Marty wanted me to take away, yeah. and Bobby wanted me to take away, and and um Ray Romano and Ray Pacino, Ray Buffalino, Mister Buffalino, Mister Ray <laughs> Buffalino. You do a lot of ones just for me these days. I know, I know. but um, <laughs> that's my ringtone now, <laughs> Mister Buffalino, Mister. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, yeah, again, I think um, it's one of those things where I don't know if I 100% see <laughs> why they needed to make it. Mm. But I, but I, I understand, I get it, and I yeah. respect it. But um, yeah, I don't know the, that character of Frank Sheeran didn't grab me anywhere near as much as Jimmy Hoffa did. Yeah. Or, or well, Pesci's then character. watch Hoffa, the Danny DeVito movie <laughs> starring his best his best friend Jack Nicholson as Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, I don't know. Imagine if we did that, that pairing. Oh, we just like watched we watched Hoffa. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I I love that this is the, the small point that we disagree on in this mm. movie because to me that's the essential that makes this movie work. That it is these people that are the legacy of this genre, the legacy of masculinity in film, playing these sad men throughout their entire lives. Mm. And I find, I, I mean, it would be awesome if you saw De Niro's christening in this movie <laughs> and he's a little bubby with like a little gnome face. You're going to christen me? You're going to pour that water on me? I don't see anyone else here naked. <laughs> I got nonsense. a little schmeckle. <laughs> Whatever Irish people call it. A little, a little, pota- a little potato. <laughs> Um, Before we close up Just one final thing That I showed you When you arrived today Was my little potato schmeckle My little potato scallop Though was that um, One of Scorsese's Other long time collaborators Mm. uh, Robbie Robertson Who Mm -hmm. was in the band Known as The Band (laughs) Which was the backing band For Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. He was Scorsese Been very close friends For a long time He served as like The music uh, soundtrack producer for Casino, Gangs of New York, lots of great movies. He's done the scores for Color of Money, which we'll talk about very soon on mm-hmm. this podcast as well. He provides a score for this film and also in the music department of like, you know, picking songs for it. I think this movie has a has great uh, selection of songs in it that really set the mood for this film and kind of show the layers in or the kind of the, like the little nuances in monotone. Because I think this film does have one tone mm. but uh, it's that it to me this film is so harmonious and that monotone that there's those slight little quivers and layers in it you know if this I, re- was, I really like the score dude I, and I think the score is really good yeah really like that might be the best Scorsese film score since freaking Taxi Driver by Bernard Herrmann yeah it's up there you know that uh, I can't remember the context fully but there's mm. a sequence slow motion car mm. going through yeah. a car wash and it's jazzy drums with yeah. like cello, mm. kind of like a dis- cello. Dis- you got a bass. <laughs> you go. 
<laughs> discordant cellos. Like, yeah. it's, it's really beautiful. Um, and the work harmonica from in this movie, mm. the way the harmonica plays is so. Uh, <laughs> harmonica, you got a Chandler. <laughs> A Monica, you got a Chandler, and a Ross, and a Rachel, and a freaking Joey. Okay, Joey Pesci. I think the 11 hours you've spent in this movie is driven insane. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, the harmonica sounds so sad, almost like accordion. Yeah, yeah. I think it works so well. Mouth yeah. organ. Mouth organ. That's why they call it that. The squeeze box of the mouth organ. <laughs> the piano organ, the mouth organ. The same thing, if you ask upon me. I do. Okay, well, I answered. Yeah, it's really beautiful score from Robbie Robertson. And uh, you... Yeah, I love Robbie Robertson. You love Robbie. You the, love band, the band, The Last Waltz, The, the Last Waltz, directed by Michael Scorsese, best concert movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I showed you mm. something very interesting. Yes. Robbie Robertson has a new album out this month mm. called Cinematic. S-I-N-E-M-A-T-I-C. Cinematic. That's naughty. Very tricky, and uh, the f- <laughs> the first song on the album is called "I Hear You Paint Houses," mm. and it features another guy from the Last Waltz, Mister Vanessa Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> Mister Vanessa Morrison, Van Morrison. For if you're nasty and feeling like I prefer Ute Morrison. Ute. <laughs> okay, funny. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Officially, Tarago Morrison. The two Utes. Yeah, um, Van Morrison. Uh, and uh, it's a, uh, I love Van Morrison. I love Robbie Robertson. What an exciting combination! Mm. And this song is about the movie The Irishman. Yeah. Okay, I'm all in. Let me tell you, could not be more on the nose of <laughs> it being about the Irishman. This movie, this song, feels like it was recorded for the credits of the 1995 <laughs> version of this movie, where it's like we can get an easy Oscar if we get like a great couple of musicians to lay down a track for this, where it's just the plot of the movie. Like it's got like the whole thing is about like them driving down the road, and then there's a conversation between Van Morrison uh, or singing duet. <laughs> between Van Morrison yeah. and Robbie Robertson where they kind of sing back and forth a conversation between like the the souls of Jimmy Hoffa and Frank Sheeran <laughs> uh, like you know there's something like you know I, I like I did a hit for the mob and I regret my life it's like the thing is it's not a it's not a bad melody or sound it's yeah. quite good I mean it's Roy Robertson, and their yeah. voices are beautiful. Really. Yeah, but it's just so on the nose. It's, it's a like, bad song. It's like Huey Lewis wrote it. Yeah. It's, it's so like, yeah. It's like, you know, if you look at Philadelphia, there's that great song, Streets of Philadelphia mm. by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Yeah. That's so poetic and like mm. not direct about this. But this is like literally him going like, I betrayed you. I did a hit for the I'm mob. I'm a truck driver, yeah. but now I'm in the mafia. I'm driving down the road. And it's like, okay, this is the yeah. plot for the movie. Sum up in five minutes. <laughs> so if you haven't seen The Irishman, you like this conversation. The way to catch up with it is... Yeah. Through the cinematic Just album. Just listen to the song. <laughs> listen to the song, I Hear You Paint Houses by Robbie Robertson and Van Morrison. <laughs> Cam, this was such a joy to talk to you about this movie and break out on murder, break out codes and talk about reboots, remakes and rip I'm so glad we did it. And I'm so excited to see you so excited. I love cinema. You love it? I love cinema again. With an S. Cinema. <laughs> Um, what have we got coming up next week we're doing a pairing that you Mm. deviously put together that I think is like a great way for us to close out what are we doing next week we are going to be looking at The Hustler and uh, we're going to follow that up with Marty's film The Color of Money Mm. which is a sequel to 
The Hustler many years later. The first legacy sequel. The first basically. legacy sequel. Um, and that'll be those will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. In the meantime, if you want to hear more of us, we did a deep dive on Robert De Niro on our Patreon podcast. Uh, you can get over at patreon.com slash total reboot for just five bucks a month to get access to that. Get access to a great Facebook group where we talk cinema with you guys pretty much twenty four seven. That group's always going. It's a very lovely bunch of people. We love you guys in there. Uh, and uh, in the future, we're leaving it up to you guys to like pick which actors you want to hear us do our giant uh, exposés on. Yeah, so get in the comments. Let us know. Have you got anything you want to plug? Yeah, on the... Oh, will this be out in time? On the 20th of December, we've got Comedians Talk Over Movies. The movies jingle all the way. And are you going to join me for that? Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, you're joining me for yeah. it. So it's going to be Cameron and I. We'll get a third person. Um, I don't know who it is yet because maybe I can't say or maybe I just haven't booked it yet because I just <laughs> want to just be me and you hanging out. Uh, so it's going to be really fun. Ticks are on sale now. We'll put them in the show notes for you. Uh, and in the meantime, do you have anything coming up? Uh, I can't remember the exact dates, but I am in Brisbane doing the sit-down comedy club early January. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll put info for that up on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at I am Cameron James on both of those. And I'm at This Is Alexi. And I'll tell you, in early January as well, I'm bringing back, after a little break over the holiday period, film trivia at the Golden Age Cinema, which nice. I host like every week. It's very fun. If you like this podcast, um, you'll have fun there if you live in Sydney. Uh, a lot of uh, cinephiles do come there, so it's very nice to hang mm. out with them all the time. Mm. So shout out to all the guys that I hang out with at that show. Now, before we leave, Alexi, can I please get you mm. to give me a quick, beautiful rumination on Robert De Niro's face? Mole, 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 mole. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Say no That's more. It. Thank you. <laughs>